And those decision makers of tomorrow are that generation, that generation Z. God help anyone who thinks that the linear system is going to propagate into the future when that generation gets the reins. Because that generation is not going to put up with people who have a linear mindset and will take make waste and will be satisfied with chucking 90% of our furniture in the skip at the end. So without a shadow of a doubt, that's what gives me hope. Hello and welcome to Saving Planet A. I'm your host, Gizem Eren. In this show, we learn together about sustainability, climate change, a circular economy, and jobs that help save the planet. My guest today is Mark Richard. Mark is the managing director and owner of furniture brand Roger Lewis. Roger Lewis is a British manufacturer of furniture for corporate and hospitality projects, which recently moved to a new factory in Frome, Somerset. Mark has also co-founded Capsule, a closed-loop concept furniture brand. The journey to understand what a furniture brand of the future could look like has ignited a passion in him to help drive structural change within the furniture industry. He grew up in Leeds, where a passion for building relationships out of candid communication and integrity was baked into him. Mark lives with his wife and two sons in Bath. Mark, welcome to Saving Planet A. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you inviting me on. Uh, let's start with your most recent project, Capsule. You have a blog on the Capsule website where you share your journey to create a concept furniture brand of the future. In your words, a furniture system designed to transcend time. Can you tell us more about what you mean by that, a furniture system? Yeah, wow, that's a that's a really big question, Giz. Um, I've spent the last three or four years, um, you know, in darkened rooms thinking about this, and I. I ended up meeting uh, a guy called uh, Dean Connell um, just as the, uh, the the pandemic started in two, in the middle of 2020. Uh, and at the time, he was the global head of furniture for WeWork. He and I uh, spent countless hours um, locked in various WeWorks across London debating what a furniture brand of the future should look like. Because obviously, you know, as we currently stand in, in our industry, we are all deeply embedded and reliant on the linear system of, you know, take, make, waste, um, using all the materials, um, putting it through our production facility and sending it out the door for, for it to be never seen again. And, and then, you know, 90% of that in, in Europe is then uh, sent to landfill. So how do we, um, and I think we both found, a kin- Dean and I both found a kindred spirits with each other. He was coming at it from a, a specifying perspective, a design, a product design perspective and a, a space design perspective. And I was coming at it from a, an operational and furniture brand perspective. And we ended up having very shared views about what a, uh, a furniture system of tomorrow should look like. For me, first and foremost, the the makers, the people crafting the furniture, need to have a direct relationship with the people using the furniture. And I think that there's a lot of building blocks that need to be created to create a system that allows true circularity so that furniture can be used again and again through multiple life cycles on into the future. How do we create a closed system where waste is absolutely mitigated as close to zero as possible? Our carbon impact, the embodied carbon in the furniture is is as close to zero. And um, that comes from various building blocks. So first and foremost, how do we design our furniture to go through multiple life cycles? And not only multiple life cycles, but within each of those life cycles, how do we create uh, trend satiation? 
So, you know, as with the fashion industry, you know, every season people want newness. They want different color palettes. They want different textures. So that is something we cannot deny in the furniture industry. We have to be thinking about how do we uh, solve for that? How do we design furniture to, to allow that to be satisfied, that desire to be satisfied? And then um, once it comes to the end of the life cycle, how do we create a system that allows furniture to flow efficiently from one life cycle to another? Part of that is going to be operational. So how do we recondition furniture? And how do we, how do we um, propagate furniture so the value of that furniture is propped up? So almost like an asset. It's considered more of an asset and can be put on people's balance sheets. How do we, um, how do we allow that people to access that furniture if there's going to be much more of a, a multiple life cycle approach? So is it more, um, as in the case of, again, in the case of the fashion industry, that people have people subscribe to furniture and it's more of a it's more of a recurring uh, access element but clearly that has final financial implications for for the people sourcing and providing the furniture and then finally how do we use technology to allow us to la- allow that furniture to flow from one life cycle to another in a seamless way Mm-hmm. So uh, you talked about furniture as a service, sub- subscription service. Yeah. Um, there are some office furniture companies who offer their customers furniture as a service where customers pay a monthly fee and return the furniture when they no longer need it. Um, and circular economy was a big theme in this year's Clackenwell Design Week. For those of you who don't know, Clackenwell Design Week is an independent design festival that takes place in East London each year. Um, so clearly the industry is moving in this direction, albeit very slowly. I want to ask to you how, because you all provide furniture to office, hospitality and domestic settings um, with Roger Lewis, how do you think this would apply to a hospitality or domestic setting? Uh, are rental services for furniture inspired by fashion rental realistic in the short term? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, like you, Giz, I, I, was, I was delighted to see that the conversation at Clarkwell Design Week was focused around circularity and sustainability more than ever. Uh, and and it's great to see those kind of companies, those leasing model companies, coming to the fore and thinking about it uh, and and offering that as a service that um, that people can lease furniture and it can be um, it can be returned back at the end of the use. The cynic in me says that that there is no real difference in that furniture. All they're doing is providing cheap furniture, and you know if it's in reasonable condition at the end, they'll they'll rent it out to someone else, uh, and if it's not, it'll go in the skip. But, you know, maybe maybe that's disingenuous of me. But the fact that that is being offered as a business model is phenomenal. And the fact that and the, the reality is, if we're truly going to change our industry, it's not going to take one brand or one company to come up with a solution. It's going to be multiple companies coming up with a variety of different business models um, that is going to create that ecosystem. So leasing, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, your point about hospitality Yes, it is. It is definitely, it is definitely something that is coming, and is definitely something that is realistic. I think we just have to be mindful of if you want to do that in a truly pure way, then you have to start with a blank canvas in terms of how you design our design your furniture. One of our clients 
for, for the Roger Lewis brand up in Manchester, they, we, we provided uh, several hundred rooms worth of furniture to, a, uh, to an apart hotel project. And uh, recently, the client was asking for uh, refreshment of that furniture. So we can do that. There's a couple of ways we can do that. The first is the sort of the, 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 the most difficult way, which is send a van up to Manchester, pick up all the furniture, bring it back to our production facility in Somerset, uh, do a full reconditioning, strip the furniture down. That furniture that happens to be in that space is traditionally made in, the, in terms of the sofas that are in there. So it's um, stapled. And that takes a quite a lot of intensive work to be able to do that. But it's possible. We can refresh it and then we can send a van back. The alternative might be that we, uh, we just engineer covers to go on over the top of the furniture that's already in place. But it's, it's, not, a, it's not a very satisfactory solution because that furniture wasn't designed in such a way. Really, what, what would have been best is for that furniture from day one to be designed in such a way that the covers could easily be taken off. We could have produced replacement furniture in our production facility and sent, by, sent them by post or by courier to, to, to site. Then the people on site would have seamlessly been able to, to pull it on. But that takes quite a lot of uh, intensity at the front end in terms of how do you engineer that product to ensure that that process is done well. So if we can do that at the front end, and uh, design furniture in the right way, then yes, absolutely, you know, refreshing furniture is possible and equally having it back at the end of the life cycle is possible. But the answer then comes, what do you do with all that furniture? So unless you create that secondary market where you can sell that furniture on to someone else, where the appetite for that furniture to be taken on in a second life cycle, then the whole system breaks down. So for me, as I said earlier, you, you need to design it up front. You need to have an operational back end to repair, repair and refresh through the life cycle and retain the custodianship and have it back at the end. And you have to be able to, uh, you have to be able to seamlessly push that onto a, a, a you know, another, another person that, uh, or another operator or another, um, user that is going to utilize that furniture into the future otherwise it's just going to sit and stock in a warehouse it does come to come down to the materials doesn't it um so the focus i what I, from what i have seen is more on um recycled or sustainably sourced materials that go into products like textile waste recycled plastic bottles discarded fishnets to name a few rather than um, making the products recyclable. Yes. Um, yes. So I think it's it's a whole shift in focus, as you rightly said, um, to, be able to, to be able to achieve true, true circularity from the production perspective. Yeah, 100%. So um, I think the fact that people are, you know, using discarded fishnets and, and recycled plastic bottles and all those elements are, are brilliant. And, you know, we are trying to lace those um, material selection choices into how we operate as a business, both with Roger Lewis and in you know our purist vision of the future with with uh, Capsule. But for me, this, I guess the cynic in me. There's a recurring theme here. It sounds like I'm a, 
I was just, I sounds like I'm a cynic. No, no, but, the uh, realist in you, let's the say realist, that. The realist, the realist in, in you. Me. Yeah, exactly. So the realist in me uh, says that um, material selection is a distraction. When people talk about sustainability, um, you know, they say, oh, well, that, that you know, that, that piece over there has mycelium in it or it has foresso or plank or, and that is fantastic. But the problem with all of those materials are they currently aren't, they are more expensive than the, the linear alternative or the less sustainable alternative, should I say. So, um, and, and what that does is it means that unless you have a very high budget within your project, it's not possible to select that sustainable alternative. For me, what I'm trying to search for is how do we answer the question of providing a service that is exactly the same price as the linear alternative. So how do we go to um, people who are fitting out their spaces, specifying, uh, designing and specifying spaces and say to them, you can select that linear alternative, uh, the, the linear option, uh, the embodied carbon associated to producing that furniture, that furniture is, you know, whatever it is for that space. Or you can access a fully circular option where the embodied carbon is this. And by the way, there is no difference in the price for you. And once we can get to that that point, then it doesn't become a choice at all. That's when we'll start to see proper systemic change. And if we can create systemic change, then we can put the icing on the cake, which is starting to push the material selection threshold. For me, it starts in the systemic change. And... Well, that's the reason why I, I, I'm keen and, you know, I appreciate you putting on this podcast and trying to bang the drum for sustainability and circularity. Because for me, the more we get that message out about how do we create that ecosystem that's, that of a, a circular economy within our industry, the faster we can, that we can create real impact. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very well said. What's next for Capsule? What's next for Capsule? Uh, keep keep shouting about it. Um, so for me, it's 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 being part of the conversation, encouraging uh, encouraging as many people to go on the journey towards towards a systemic change. Uh, how do we build the systems from a from a design perspective, an operational perspective, financial perspective, and a technology perspective that allow us to re retain the custodianship that we are pushing out as manufacturers for for years to come? How do we ensure that the, the furniture stays in the system and isn't just chucked in, uh, chucked, at land, chucked in landfill. If I can be part of that conversation, then I, I feel that's something that I'm, you know, I'd love to dedicate my life to, to doing. If I can, you know, in the next 5, 10, 15 years, we can get to a truly circular economy within our industry, then that will be a success. For me, it's not about, it's not about money or financial remuneration. It's about, it's about systemic change and seeing uh, everyone do it often people say to me why are you shouting so loud about this surely someone's just going to come and steal your ideas in terms of what a furniture brand of the future should look like and i say well fantastic that's great you know if if, if someone else does it then brilliant and you know if i'm a small part of that then wonderful but for me if if capsule is ever going to be successful um then it's about proving it on a on a large scale so how do we get a global rollout partner to buy into the um, the capsule offering and and, and roll that out across um, multiple sites across um, you know either corporate hospital or hospitality 
buildings across the world and we create a uh, you know an operational back end to be able to support uh, that sit, that furniture being uh, being used right you know for 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 many many years to come and stays within the system but that but that's hard to achieve we are talking to various partners i, I re- recognize there's a lot that we still need to do to 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 articulate what the offering is um, Dean is uh, currently the uh, creative director of a uh, of Notel, which is a big co-working brand. They're working on various various ventures, and we have a we're looking to pilot with them to uh, to, to to demonstrate what a uh, what Capsule can achieve, both in terms of designing new furniture that um, that can be um, in a closed loop system, sourcing vintage, uh, sourcing. Uh, furniture that could be reconditioned, as well as utilizing the existing inventory of furniture within that space. If we every time we uh, we use a piece of furniture, yes, it might take a certain amount of embodied carbon to be able to refresh that piece of furniture, but it won't hit the you know the average forty seven kilos of carbon uh, of embodied carbon in each piece of furniture that is used that is created from new. So if we can blend. Uh, new um circular furniture with uh reconditioning old furniture and we can we can demonstrate that that has a huge carbon benefit and is commercially viable and creates beautiful spaces that people want to you know live and work and and play in then that will be that will be a success and from that who knows sounds amazing uh, Mark, uh, you grew up in Leeds. Can you tell us a little bit what that was like and how did it shape uh, the person you've become? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I grew up in Leeds, went to school in Leeds, um, and it was a yeah, great upbringing. I mean, my my um, my dad my dad was a dentist. My mum was a magistrate in the in the Leeds Magistrates Court. And very happy, happy upbringing. I think I didn't really know any difference. But when I, when I went to university and and then subsequently went to work in finance, um, I realised that uh, not everyone was not everyone was a chippy northerner uh, like me. <sighs> and uh, you know, sort of that you know that sort of um, brutal honesty sometimes got me into trouble. I suppose. I think also the the I always had a, an entrepreneurial itch uh, as a youngster. You know that sort of went through school and through university life, and um, again, not everyone was was sort of wired the same as me. And um, the sort of desire to to um, to build things from scratch, to create teams, to try and um, to try and take on entrepreneurial risk and 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 do things differently. But yeah, I think um, I think particularly when I when I sort of come back to reflecting on, um, you know, being on stage at Clarkwell Design Week and talking about circularity. For me, it needs a character of a person to, and multiple people, not just me, but it needs people to talk in a very straight way, uh, with sort of no agenda. That that need that people sort of cut through the noise and cut through the the reliance on the linear system to say, "Come on, guys, if we want change, this is how we need to achieve it. This is what it looks like in theory. How do we work together to build that?" Um, and I think, in a way, my as I say, my chippy northern roots um, play quite well to to uh, to sort of not caring too much about uh, what impact that has, um, what, how that might upset people, but you know, just caring about the impact that we're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, 
it it's a very fine line I find when listening to people that we tread when talking about sustainability because it's very easy to flip over onto greenwashing, especially yes. from a brand point of view. Yes. And um, I think people are becoming more aware of of that now, and it's it's they can really tell who has an agenda and who is really trying to achieve a sustainable future. Yes, yeah, I think it's it's an incredibly hard thing to identify where that where that um, where that line is because ultimately when people are putting sustainable materials into their products that is a positive thing you, you know i think really as i said to you before we started the interview you know someone recently asked me for um for the best uh, resources the best people to be you know listening to in terms of podcasts in terms of blog content and in terms of in terms of views about circularity and sustainability within our industry and and you know, apart from a handful of people, I was I was really struggling to to um to find those people. And I think it's important, um, and this is the reason why, you know, I was delighted when you when you invited me and, and and the fact that you're doing this podcast I think is is phenomenal. We need more people to be to be banging the drum and shouting about um a, a circular future and creating systemic change. Uh, so Yes, I don't want to start pointing the finger at people and saying that person's green greenwashing, because ultimately I'll do that for you. Don't worry. <laughs> you, you you do that for me. But but you're right. Authenticity is everything, you know. And and it's it's difficult to recognise where people's agendas lie. Um, but all you can do is is sort of follow your heart, look at what you think is the right thing for us to be doing, uh, how we should be behaving. Yeah, how do we how do we all build that future together? Yeah, and I think data and numbers are a big part of that authenticity. Yeah. Definitely giving people the actual data, this is what it is. If brands disclose where they are accurately, I think people will be much more inclined to believe because then they can really see the journey. Okay, this is we had, I don't know, like 10% recycled uh, materials in our collection. Now it's up to 90%. Then it's a measurable entity. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think also there's a, there's a, what we're missing is a common language as well. You know, I've had conversations with a lot of clients where, um, you know, be it uh, procurement companies or interior designers or um, uh, furniture dealers, where I say, well, you know, do you know what the embodied carbon of of, of a sofa is or a, a table? Do you, do you actually have any concept of what good is and what bad is? Do you know what the average is? And I only know because I've I've read about it and and, and done a reasonable amount of research. But until we actually can say, well, in a in a fifty fifty thousand square foot project, the carbon budget of that space, an acceptable carbon budget of that space is X. And that equates to, you know, this amount of trees being destroyed, this amount of carbon, et cetera, et cetera. Until we can have that common language of understanding what acceptable looks like and the client can sign off on that, then how can we possibly, and additionally, how do we create a, a common way of calculating what one chair that one manufacturer produces um, has the same calculations and process around understanding what the embodied carbon is versus another manufacturer how can we possibly have true conversations about the impact that we're having 
Because yes, I can go and I can say, well, you know, versus this brand uh, capsules embodied carbon solution is 50% better. But what does that actually mean? You know, until we actually can say with certainty that success looks like this, then we're never going to get get drive towards a system where we can, you know, we can get to a closed loop um, circular circular system and, and make the steps to get closer and closer towards zero. You're right. You're right. Let's talk about uh, challenges. <laughs> What has been the biggest challenge that you've overcome, Mark? Failure, if you will. I don't want to call it failure because it has negative connotations. But personally, I think failures teach us. Yeah. Um, so what, what did you learn from that experience? Gosh, um, well, I, I don't know. I've never stopped failing, really. I'm constantly failing every day. But, you know, I try to, I try to embrace those failures. You know, I left, I left working in finance to, uh, to take over a family business. Uh, it was a, a retail manufacturer, a furniture retail manufacturer at the time. Difficult place to have a business, underinvested, low margins. Um, that journey to restructuring that business was, was tough. Going through the last few years of trying to drive cultural change within our business, as with most um, furniture manufacturers, particularly in the UK, the culture of these kind of businesses isn't the most cutting edge, isn't the most dynamic, isn't the most sort of um, supportive or, um, you know, the, the, the next generation aren't invested in as much as they should be. So I think going through those kind of barriers and, and trying to create a business where where we have a, a, a vibrant, youthful culture. We've invested, we invest in a, uh, apprenticeship programs in, in upskilling all of our people, driving not, not only the sort of the, the young people within our business, but right the way through, um, the experience spectrum and, and age spectrum to, to drive people to, um, to want to own their environment and own their, own the responsibilities they have within the business and grow as individuals, both per personally and professionally. Uh, you know, I take a lot of satisfaction from that. And yeah, clearly going through a pandemic, um, plenty of missteps and failures and, you know, all sorts of things. But I always find it fascinating when people beat themselves up for, you know, what, what they were five years ago or 10 years ago. You know, we're all on a journey to, to be better um, in how we operate. It'd be the same as beating yourself up today for not being the person you're going to be in 20 years time. So it is a journey. Yeah. You know, all you can do is continue to learn from our mistakes and continue to improve. Definitely. I agree with you 100%. What would young Mark, what would he make of your life today? <laughs> yeah, well, I th I, what would he look like? I think he'd be, um, I think he'd feel very grateful. I think he'd feel very fortunate. And I do feel very fortunate. Uh, my wife and two young sons, I live in a beautiful part of, of the world and in, in the of the country. You know, I'm in a blessed position where I can affect change, not only within my own team, but hopefully within the wider industry. Uh, apart from the the winds that buffet us, you know, I'm the master of my own de uh, destiny, you know, for good and for bad. And, you know, I think that's an incredibly fortunate position to be in. Um, I've, you know, taken sacrifices to get out of corporate life to, to do that. And, you know, I've made many difficult decisions along the way, but we have a long journey ahead of us, a long path ahead of us to try and, um, to try and build something that we're really proud of. I think my young self would be uh, very pleased That I, I, that I am where I am currently and trying to be better into the future. I think it's, for me, it's about continuous learning. I never want to stop learning. I never want to stop failing. And the idea of, you know, getting to a certain point in life and saying, now I'm satisfied is alien to me. So yeah, I think I, I feel fortunate and I, I would hope that my younger self would see that.
So I'm now going to ask you the two questions that I ask every guest at the end of every episode. Um, you can answer them together or separately, up to you. Um, the first one is, what's giving you hope right now? And the second one is, what is your best tip for saving planet A? Yeah, they're good questions, Giz. Um, what's giving me hope? Do you know what? It's the next generation is giving me hope. When I look at particularly that Gen Z generation, um, how they're, the care they have about their environment. I think first and foremost, we have never lived in such a positive, affluent age. The world that we're in at the moment is better than it's ever been. Uh, there's, a, there's a fantastic book. I'm forgetting the name of the author, but it's, uh, the book is called Factfulness. Um, and if you ever if you ever read that book, it's a it's a brilliant insight into sort of where we are in our time and the fact that by most metrics, um, the world is in a phenomenal position. We have a lot of challenges ahead of us, you know, not least what we're doing with our environment. But the reality is that next generation is cares, you know, they 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 buy in the right way. You know, you think again, you think of um, the fashion industry that ge that generation are thinking about. The materiality they're not thinking about fast fashion as much the fact that you know in the uk love island sponsor is no longer made main sponsor is no longer a fast fashion brand it's ebay and um, looking at reclaimed reclaimed uh pre-loved um clothing the fact that that uh massive programs target audience is that generation and it has the ability to be able to the bandwidth to be able to um have a sponsor like that says it all for me and that generation is thinking about peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces of buying and selling clothing retro clothing the material selection uh the fact that that industry can think about you know yarn to to thread and thread to yarn technologies blockchain authentication you know all of these things i think is is driven by that next generation desire to have uh, circular and sustainable solutions. And as we said, you know, our industry is slow, it's backwards in the furniture industry. And those decision makers of tomorrow are that generation, that generation Z. God help anyone who thinks that the linear system is going to propagate into the future when that generation gets the reins. Because that generation is not going to put up with people who have a linear mindset and will take make waste and will be satisfied with chucking 90% of our furniture in the skip at the end. So without a shadow of a doubt, that's what gives me hope. Great answer. Thank you. And then, uh, yeah, your other question is about my best tip for saving planet A. Let, let them get out of their way. Get out of their way. and um, Get out of Gen Z's way you know, allow them to uh, help build a circular system of tomorrow. It is, a, for me, as I've said numerous times to you, Giz, it's about systemic change. It's not about materiality selection. Yes, that's the icing on the cake, definitely. But it is about creating macro impact. How do we create global change? How do we, how do we change our industry from a linear system to a circular system as quickly as possible. And if we get out of the way of that Gen, Z, uh, that Gen Z and allow them to be the decision makers of tomorrow, it'll happen faster. I agree. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Mark, thank you so much for being my guest. You've been uh, a wonderful guest. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it, Giz. And good luck with the podcast. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Saving Planet A, I'd really appreciate it if you comment and subscribe so that other people can know that we exist. Thank you again for listening. 